reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes, the flags go up. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Fuel burning fast on an empty tank. Reckless and wild, they pour through the turns. Their prowess is potent and secretly stern. As they speed through the finish, the flags go down. The fans get up and they get out of town. The arena is empty, except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can. The sun has gone down and the moon has come up. And long ago, somebody left with the cup. But he's driving and striving and hugging the turns and thinking of someone for Welcome to Talking Giants presented by SeatGeek. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Pennick. We got ourselves a mailbag podcast talking about the 3-1 New York Giants. We're going to talk about Neo, Wink, Kafka. And we're actually even going to touch the OBJ stuff. Been ignoring it as long as like we could, but we have to kind of talk about it today. Justin, how are you doing? Just when we thought we couldn't get enough Josina Anderson in our lives, she is back. Back. Get turnt with the crew. Get turnt with the crew. We're going to talk about how we're going to get turnt with the crew. Um, Bobby Skinner. NFL talk mixed with our lives and your lives. You'll We'll, we'll play it eventually. Um, this is a wild time to be a Giants fan. Um, OBJ, Landon Collins, Davis Webb. Oh my gosh, it's the 20 teens Jake again. Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm. I, I tweeted out like, the storylines this week feel like a week 15 giant spiraling out of control storylines, but it's like, no, we're three and one. And because good things are happening around the giants, Odell's got to get uh, in on the attention. Justin, this episode was brought to you by Paul Frumerman. We love mm. Paul. Sean Salvi. Um, he likes Salvia. Don't mm. judge, but not it's good for health. And then Trey Carpenter. Who is actually the carpenter who broke the Daniel Jones neck injury news last year? Justin, who are these people? Wow, remember that? Wild. Patreon.com slash talking giants. That's where these wonderful people went. For two dollars a month, you can hang out with us while we record the shows. Bobby Skinner will send you some stickers, magnets in the mail, and then twice a month, you have an opportunity to win a shirt. Patreon.com slash talking giants. Thanks to our patrons. Take it away, Steve. Mail time. Mail time. Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Thanks, Steve from Blues Clues. Justin, let's get into the mail. Zach Jacobs with the first question asks, what improvements did you see on tape from Evan Neal that led to a much better week four versus weeks one through three? So there definitely was improvement out of Evan Neal. I don't think it was as good improvement as like, oh, he had all these pass blocking snaps and allowed zero pressure. It's definitely a good game for him uh, pass blocking wise, but it was just a combination of a few things. One, lesser competition, and they didn't do a lot of drop-back passing. Like, it was very little drop-back passing, which didn't put a lot of pressure on Evan Neal. And they were, you know, Robert Quinn always lined up over Andrew Thomas, so you were facing guys who didn't have the get-off that the Dallas Cowboys players had. But there was improvements technical technically. Uh, his feet, like he was getting to that third step, 
and he was more patient with his hands. Like if you watch the Olorn report, it's like there's still some stuff that's not perfect about his footwork, but he was getting to his landmarks and he's he's fast enough, he or he's athletic enough, he's big and strong enough that it doesn't always have to be perfect for him to have a good rep and he had some awesome awesome plays. Like I thought he had his best pass blocking rep of the year. Um so just getting more comfortable. Again, not every week is going to be going against DeMarcus Lawrence in that uh that uh that jump chop you know, doing that, being more patient with his hands and not, you know, not over punching. It was just, uh, you know, last week three was a, 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 a learning lesson for Evan Neal. And I thought he got some, uh, there was some, definitely some improvement. I don't, it's not, he hasn't turned the corner and now he's going to be awesome for the rest of the year, but there was definitely improvement. Yeah. You want to see consistency at this point. And the Giants had a very, very good game plan that it didn't put Evan Neal and then the rest of the offensive line, not counting Andrew Thomas, not putting the rest of those four guys in compromising situations where you're asking Daniel Jones to just drop back, drop back. I mean, Bobby, how many uh, conventional dropbacks were, were there this game? With DJ, five. Five. So, I mean, the rest of them were kind of play-action rollouts, and either Jones is running the ball or he's throwing the ball. So, Evan Neal showed a little bit more. Uh, how about in the run game? I mean, did you see improvement in the run game? And clearly, because the Giants' running game was just awesome all day, uh, what did you see there? One, lesser competition, so he was able to lean on guys and get some movement. He's still got to clean up his first step. Like, it's still sloppy, and that's False something steps, that's... right? Yeah, like, he's... When I say that first step is, he's taking what we used to call it. I remember when I first started playing football, my coach just, like, cussed me out for 45 minutes in front of the entire team watching film. Love that. We call it a Barney Rubble step, which is, like, he's putting a foot... His step is... His foot is going you know, half a foot backwards, six inches backwards instead of six inches forward. Yeah, you're not gaining which, any ground. Which you don't gain any ground, and that causes you to lean, and that leads to some bad balance plays. So um, he needs to get better at that. But in the run game, he did have some really good plays where he was leaning on guys, and, and you see the strength and the athleticism that he has. Yeah, him and Andrew Thomas had uh, some two nice pancakes. Uh, he got to get the maple syrup out for them this week. So... Good stuff for Evan, Evan Neal. I believe Rashawn Gary and Zadarius Smith are on tap this week, so buckle up. Yeah, it's going to be a tough test for uh, for him this week. Next question. Hashtag Shane Stan at NYG Cat- Cat- Catastrophe. That's quite a username. Are you more impressed with Wink or Kafka? How about, what, why don't you go first? I'm really going back and forth on this, man. Part of me wants. Won't you say Kafka so you can make all the points for Kafka? Because I may make points for the other guy. Yeah, I was gonna. I was. I was leaning Kafka. Like I. I want to say like, oh, both because they're both doing a great job, right? But I feel like Kafka has had to deal with a little bit more adversity on the offensive side of the ball in terms of maybe them having a vision for what the offense looks like over the summer, and then then how that drastically changed towards the regular season where Wink I don't think has had to deal with that as much at the end of the day Mike Kafka and Brian Dable they have an offense that they want to throw the ball they want to throw the ball on first down Um, they want to be a team that you know moves the ball downfield through the air and right now they just can't do that because their offensive line is a little suspect but even more suspect they don't have wide receivers that they can really count on there's no wide receiver that you can really count on so the fact that not only are they running the ball well and effectively and efficiently, but they're doing it like it's the best in the NFL. And the Giants offense right now, on an EPA basis and on a DVOA basis too, average. The Giants offense is average and we are a whole month into the season. And this even includes, I think they're almost average on a on a points basis, right, Bobby? They're almost average? 
Yeah, I believe they're 18th in points per game. Awesome. So efficiency and then also just the raw, you know, points per game, you know, stat as well. So I am much more impressed with Mike with what Mike Kafka's had to deal with still looking at the offense being average versus Wink Martindale, which I'm still very impressed by. So you tell me why Wink. There's some questions later that I want to expand on that we'll talk about Mike Kafka, so I won't share too much. But yeah, credit to them for changing what their guys, what their approach has been for their careers, or at least the last couple of years as offensive minds, you know, obviously with the Chiefs and the Bills. And there's been some good week-to-week adjustments and being like, hey, if something's working, let's keep going to it. You know, like the two touchdown runs by Daniel Jones, they ran that play four times, like the exact same play (laughs) four times, and then twice it led to a touchdown. And then they ran other plays that were very similar to that, like took advantage. And and we'll talk, Tim Coffey has a question about 13 personnel where I want to expand on that a little more. I'm going to go Wink Martindale, though. Um, we were very worried about this defense coming into the year. They're top 10 in points per game. I know they've played bad quarterbacks. They're the number eight passing defense. We were very worried about the secondary. You know, and Aaron Robinson's missed essentially all but one game. You know, he went out uh, early in the fourth game. You know, uh, having to rely, rely on Cordell Flott on the outside. And then Fabian Moreau, who didn't spend any time with them at all in training camp. They have the number two third down defense and the best red zone defense as far as stopping touchdowns. Like those are, those are like where I, 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 like you as a play caller, like make your money is third down and in the red zone as a defensive play caller. And they've been awesome, just awesome at it. And they've lived out of cover one and cover three, which is what Wink Martindale does. Um, but they've, they've went to some other things, but the blitzes every, every week, like they fit the opponent. They're not just like, Hey, these are the type of blitzes we run every single week. Like they're, you know, versus the Panthers, they're giving the looks of you put everybody on the line of scrimmage and you drop these guys out. You put three safeties on the field, four safeties on the field, three safeties on the line of scrimmage. And then last week, I did a quick video breakdown today on it on social media where they lined up Dexter Lawrence inside the guard, had Kayvon and Aziz on the edge, and then Nick Williams outside the left guard. And then they did a double inside linebacker switch blitz, which... They allowed to rush five guys versus six, but they ended up getting free rushers. And it worked. You know, you got two sacks out of it. And then a third and two incompletion uh, out of it. You know, like working that type of stuff for perfection. Seeing what they have on film. Again, he's got no good linebackers. He has one good cornerback. He's had suspect edge play besides week four. Getting free rushers. And just getting his position coaches, which we'll talk about a little bit with Dex too. Like getting his the most out of his position coaches, and you know credit to um, Jerome Henderson for he yeah. he coaches zone like we we love Jerome uh, Henderson the last two years, but it was a very different defense. Like these corners have held up halfway decent in man coverage for the most part, basically except for Darnay Holmes and then a little bit of Cordell Flott. Um, so to me, I, I've just been it's been fun to watch what Wink has done every week, whether it's stacking the box and if they go heavy, like hey, we're not going to stack the box versus this. So I just I think there's been a good mix of all, of all different looks this week versus Justin Fields, who's bad at kind of reading defenses. He rotated this like he would oh start out and two high coverage and rotate the safeties right before the snap every time, just giving muddying looks. I know they've played bad QBs. But we have a bad we have bad personnel on defense, and Wink Martindale's gotten the most out of them. Um, so uh, Wink Martindale has been the one for me. Yeah, they're the fourth best pass defense on third down on an EPA basis as well. Which I mean, third down is the money down. So the fact that Giants defense has been able to hold on third down a lot of third and shorts too. I think the Bears 
were one for six on third and four or shorter this past week. So credit to Wink Martindale. It's one of those things where I don't know how sustainable that is when you are playing good quarterbacks. You know, when bad teams are getting in third and shorts and they're not converting, good quarterbacks are going to convert that, especially when you have the element of a good quarterback, maybe with a good running game as well. Third and shorts become a lot more lethal for some good teams. So we'll see how they can hold up against, uh, you know, stay one week at a time. Aaron Rodgers is you know, not the same Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay offense is not the same Green Bay offense that we've known in the past. So I'm very interested to see how he does this week against Green Bay. Yeah, by far the best QB they will play. Like Justin yeah. Fields and just the Bears offense is bad in general. Cooper Rush did well, but he's not a, you know, he's in the end of the day, he's not a good quarterback. Um, and then Baker Mayfield and then Tannehill's a, a solid QB, not a good QB. So it's, it definitely be, you know, these next two weeks versus Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson will be a huge test. Yeah. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out, guys. In addition to usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. That's that's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to... Uh, the games this week by the way last week as soon as i picked the rams or the 49ers i was like that was stupid why would i do that like the 49ers yeah. always beat the rams and that would have that you know i went four and three in my picks last week i would have put me at five and two how did i do i can't remember i think i, think, I had a good week i think we all went above 500 but i think oh, you might good. have went four and three of course to make things even sweeter you can uh you can throw down on stepped up same game parlays once per day, uh, game day all season long Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code JOHNBOY to get $200 in free bets if your team wins uh, when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code JOHNBOY only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Next question. You'll be glad you did. All right. We have Julian here to also butt in with this question. We've avoided it. We can't avoid it any longer. First... Before we do anything, Josina Anderson back in our lives. We might get demonetized if we play this. Still here. She quote tweeted your cave on tweet, by the way. She did. I didn't know what to think of it. Um, Whatever. Extremely depressed Yankee fan at Nick's tape underscore. What are the odds we re-signed Odell or Landon Collins? Um, we'll do Odell first. Sure. Zero. There's a zero percent chance of it. Okay, so what happened? I brought I brought Julian on because I want because I want like an Odell like a big Odell fan to give me pushback on this topic because I know everyone loves like. Odell is a lot of people's favorite players. He's essentially the best wide he's the best wide receiver that the Giants have ever had. Like he's an electric player, but I I, I don't know. Here's the thing I think, with Odell. I no, think no, 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 you time out. Tell, okay, yeah, yeah, Julian, tell me what your thoughts are on this no, and then but I'll, we need I will... to describe what happened. Like why are we talking about Odell Beckham Jr. if you don't He was know. in the Giants building hanging out with Sterling Shepard before he went into surgery. And then Not- well, 
not on an official free agent visit. No, and we'll we'll talk about that. So, Julian, tell me why this is significant. I think you just poop at parties when any conversation comes up about Odell. But ironically, Odell would actually probably love hanging out with you at parties uh, if that were the case. But it, there's not a 0% chance he doesn't sign with the Giants. Like, yeah, this year, no. But it is not just some random thing that he just stops by to hang out with friends at a Giants facility. Like, I understand it's probably to, to see Shep, but the reports that he absolutely never had a conversation with Dable and Shane, I just find that extremely hard to believe. Like, free agents don't just stop by team facilities just to hang out with like old friends which like there's not that many old friends that he has on the giants outside of chef even though it would make sense that he goes to see chef like they're both going through similar situations that makes sense here's okay so here's where i think there is some significance with the last regime they would have said they wouldn't have allowed him to come exactly into the building. that's where there's some significance you know there's some healing between the two sides where you know the giants they broke up and both sides had uh, good reasons to be bothered with each other. Here, and this is this is me speculating, uh, like everyone else is speculating on this. And this is why you're like, well, free agents don't just come by to hang out with friends. Well, well, that's what that's what Odell does, though. One, he's been doing it with every you know, like every team. And I know people are going to hate this. Odell loves attention. He loves attention. Okay, so for him to. I don't know how the invite happened, whether it was Shep inviting or Odell being like, hey, I want to come by. And then, you know, and then Landon Collins being there, legitimately being there. And the Giants are three and one. Dave's is a player coach and Shep is doing the surgery. So if it's Shep or Saquon going like, hey, can Odell stop by? You know, they talk about it and they say yes. But I guarantee you, Brian Dable and Shane aren't very happy about that. They're probably not hyped that it's a, a whole a huge story and a bunch of giants. You know why it's a huge story is because Odell wanted to be a huge story because he should have just like if he was wanted to be there for Shep before he goes to surgery, why not just go to his house? But and that's then, the and other then thing. why like, text Josina Anderson right after after to get all this attention about it and get the fanfare going? It's because Odell loves attention. All, all allegedly coming from an Odell hater, but. He exactly he could have just been at his house, but instead he was at the Giants facility. And we know that the Bills were a name that were floated around for Odell last year to go to. And like a year ago, the thought of him stopping by the Giants facility would never happen. So because well, right, Gettleman was the GM, exactly. But right, rightfully so, that makes Giants fans super excited. And even though it makes no sense that he would come here this year. Not only because the Giants have no money, but because he wants to go to a contender and we're not going to be a contender. But the door is absolutely not closed for Odell to one day become a Giant again. Because, yeah, he is doing a tour and he's doing a tour for attention. It's literally like a like a college visit. He's going to all these places, which, I mean, I don't blame him. He's injured and he knows he, he's not going to sign to a team right now. So might as well milk it for what it's worth. Check out everywhere. But just look at the place he's gone like it's. The Saints, which is a possible place he would go, the Rams, obviously, the Bucks, and the Giants. Like that's that's just a, it shows that he's at least interested in becoming a Giant at some point in his future. And Giants fans that love Odell, that's very exciting. And they got very excited on Twitter yesterday, rightfully so. Instead of just saying, "Oh, look at this guy trolling everybody," which he wasn't doing. Maybe he, he absolutely will. was trolling for him to go to the facility for them, whether it's asking Shep to go there, that is him trolling and then texting Justina Anderson right right after. Okay, and I I guarantee you, 
that when Dave will talk to the media and he'll won't say anything about it because that's what Dave does with the media. But that I guarantee you that annoys him because it doesn't make sense for Odell and the Giants to have a reunion. One this year, obviously zero percent, but next year the guys had two ACL tears in his last nine games, and unless you're like unless you're a Super Bowl contender, not like a, a couple moves away from being a Super Bowl contender, but like we're a Super Bowl contender right now, this helps us be uh, you know make make that happen even more so and give us a better shot at it it is so next year wouldn't it make sense either for the Giants and I would not give Odell who's going to be 30 years old this offseason two torn ACLs anything more than a one-year deal so that's why it doesn't make sense for the Giants to ever I know people love Odell and I'm not telling people to not love Odell but this is 100% Odell attention grab LeBron brought a championship back to Cleveland, oh and all I'm saying is the door is not closed for Odell to do that too. LeBron wasn't coming off of two torn ACLs, and anyway, it's just didn't he, didn't he tear his Achilles too when he was with the Giants? It just doesn't make sense for the Giants again. The injury history, and I would never give him anything more than a one year deal for the rest of his career, no matter what team I was, no matter what team I was, I would never give him more than uh, a, a one year deal. And again, the Giants PR as soon as this came out blasted it out to all the media members and you saw them all tweeted out that this there was no meeting between Shane and Dable like they didn't want they didn't want this to get out like I guarantee you they didn't want this to get out one just because of the attention and now all the attention is going to bring it to and so congrats Brian Dable and Joe Shane being a player coach that's fine there's nothing wrong with doing this but you just you just opened up the Odell experience which is Odell trying to get as much attention on him as possible so we're three and one, and now we're doing this Odell stuff because that's just kind of what it's just like when we won four games in a row in 2020, and then Odell goes on a podcast while he's out for the year, uh, bringing up the Giants stuff and pandering, saying like, "Oh, they didn't," you know, like pulling the Eli heartstrings. We talked about it. So, man, I was in bed trying to go to sleep, and then this broke, and it was like 10, 10 o'clock, ten fifteen. Can you imagine how pissed Pat Hanlon was if I'm in bed? Pat Hanlon, 100% in bed, had to get his ass out of bed, send all these messages to these Giants reporters, and be like, this was not a thing. Can you guys both honestly say that you Why did Odell go into the building instead of just going to their houses? Exactly. Like, that's why I think it's No, he's asking you, you why? Why did he do that, Julian? Because there was more than just him hanging out with Shep. Why would the Giants do this in season after being 3-1? and that's a great question, and that that's why it's not. Why are they doing it until happen. he's not even going to be ready by the best case scenario, November? And they know he's not. And they know he's not coming to the Giants this year. Like even if there was a thought, why would they do it? There's this was Joe Shane and Brian Dable being players, coaches, and players GMs. Shep is about to go into surgery, and you know Shep is like, hey, can you know Odell wants to stop by and do it. Motivation because Brian Dable is the player coach. He's not going to say no, especially when they're winning. And you have a a team leader who just tore his ACL. Motivation for Kenny Gallagher and Kadarius Tony. Listen, college recruits go to colleges all the time when they're in their sophomore and junior year of high school. And Odell is doing his recruiting tour right now, and the Giants are just petitioning for future years. Can you guys honestly say there's a 0% chance that he ever comes back? Not this year, but in the future. I'd say less than a 5% chance. That's that's all the chance I need. 
if the Giants within like two years become Super Bowl, like real deal Super Bowl contenders. I don't think you need to be a contender for Odell to go to the Giants, though. I think. Then what's the point of it? Because you're only going to sign if you sign for more than a one year deal. It's a bad deal. But I mean, the Giants are going to bring in a veteran receiver at some point in the next three years. Like they're just yes, gonna, someone who's not going to be 32 by the end of his con, you know, 33 by the end, 32, 33 by the end of his contract has two torn ACLs, a whole bunch of other injuries. But yeah, I mean, yeah, he's probably going to be a shell of himself coming back from all these injuries. But I think I, that and if we listen, if we were a Super Bowl contender and this be like, well, Bobby just doesn't like Odell. And there's there's I, Odell annoys the crap out of me. He did with the, when he was with the Giants and even and when he left. If we were a Super Bowl, like if we were even even like somewhat close, I would be all for this. Like I really would. Like you cannot deny that he's an electric player. And even in last year, when the all, all the stuff happened with when he forced his way out of Cleveland and uh, was just a total cancer to that team. Even though Baker Mayfield does suck, you know two things can be true at the same time. It was like okay, he goes to the Rams. Like that's real deal. Like that's 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 huge right there. You know, and it did end up being uh, huge for them. But unless we he would have been, the, he would have been the Super Bowl MVP. There's not a doubt in my mind if he didn't get hurt. He was yeah, going. He off. was awesome. Like he was awesome. He was awesome in those playoffs. Unlike when he was with us in the playoffs, yeah. you were not here to debate that. Um, you know, so if a, a Super Bowl contender, if we were there, I would 100% be down for it. Like I don't like Landon Collins, but like, admit, it, like if they sign him, I have no problem with that. You know, because it, it wouldn't make some sense. To me, it's no different than that. Like, Landon Collins is obviously a shell of himself compared to Peak when he was in 2016. Landon Collins would be available to play this Sunday. Odell Beckham Jr. is not available to play until at least November. That's well, the I'm difference. Not talk- I'm not talking Landon about Collins Odell is going to sign a practice squad year, contract. Yeah. yeah, I'm not talking about the Odell playing for the Giants this year. That has never made You just sense. said there's no difference, and that's the difference. Yeah, but, like, there's no difference next year. Like, you don't have to be oh, a Super Bowl contender to bring Odell. Yes, on. it is, because if you sign him next year, you're going to have to actually give him money, and then what's the point of signing him for a one-year deal? I don't think you'll actually have to give him money for all the reasons you listed. Like, he's going to be 30, and he's But not- somebody will give him money unless he gets injured again. Yeah. He, he's not going to get more than like three million dollars. He didn't. He, oh he come was, on! Are you serious? I'm the I'm the Odell hater. You think if he finishes this year healthy with the Super Bowl team, he's not getting more than three mil? I'd be yeah. surprised if he got less than ten mil on a one year deal. I'm gonna look up. What Alan Richie Robinson James is just got right a now. bunch of money. What did he get from the Rams last year? But last year was in season. He was, you know, he got he had the contract with the with the Browns. It was in season. It was like I think end of November when he got signed. Richie James has. A one million dollar contract with possibly three hundred thousand dollars, an additional tacked onto it. I'm guessing if that's like performance. So, Austin Johnson got a three million dollar contract after being our fifth defensive tackle in 2020. Yeah, I just don't think he's going to be that good for whatever team he joins this year because naturally, like coming off the ACL again, like he's not going to be very good and he's not going to get paid next year. And he's going to sign a one year deal, obviously, with someone this year. So to me, it's like not a financial thing at all. With him, with this year, yeah, it is. But if he finishes this year healthy, there's no way he's making less. Than, he's going to get a one year, ten plus million dollar deal somewhere. That would be a wild decision by whatever GM. Evan Ingram got happen. a one year, ten million dollar deal. It, it, that would make sense if you're a, if you're an Odell away from being like going from a Super Bowl contender to like a Super Bowl favorite. A one year, ten. There's no, and you have the you have the space for it. I, Nothing wrong with it, me. It's, it's a it's a much smarter move than what the Rams just did with Allen Robinson before they even like before the season even started. I would have rather done that. Allen Robinson just doesn't get thrown the ball, which is a different issue. I still think he's good. I I don't know how he wouldn't be, but 
He just doesn't get the ball. All right. Um, that's Thanks, enough Julian. Not, not to just pile on you, but we kind of did. Well, no, I, I want it because you know how it is. Is If we didn't have Julian on, I would give all these talking points, but then I wouldn't have anybody to rebut all the points that are going to be thrown at me. And I would have been looking at the comments on YouTube just, all day and replying to It would have just them. been an Odell hate fest for, for five minutes. It would have been, oh, he's so terrible. Oh, he's fishing for attention. All no, I have, all I have those nothing things to say. He's not terrible, but he's absolutely fishing, fishing for attention. Shame. I have nothing to say. I mean, so this conversation would have lasted about well, Let's two talk minutes. about Landon Collins very quickly. Let's talk about Landon Collins. Oh, so I guess the question. Um, I'm surprised by this because I thought this was Tony Jefferson's role, and I thought Tony Jefferson would even yes. be. So I'm not a, So if the Giants do this, fine. I guess they're just not getting the Julian dip. I guess they're just not getting what they want out of Tony Jefferson. Um, but I wouldn't expect like he was really bad for Washington at safety, and then they tried to move him to linebacker, and he wasn't good at that. He also had a, a, a big injury. Um, it's it's a no risk move, but. I'm. I wouldn't have any much like really any expectations for Landon Collins, Justin. Yeah, just for a team that really is cap stricken. I mean, at least that's what I think that they're giving off the impression. Joe Shane has talked about the cap, the cap, the cap. Well, it's like why why sign Tony Jefferson if you're not going to use him, and why get him from Baltimore? And you know, Jason Pennock is still floating around there. He's on special teams. Is that what they think of him? Okay. And these little contracts add up too. They, they do, and you know that's what I'm. You know, that's the whole point is that you know, for a team that's saying that they can't really do much, you know, bringing in Landon Collins for a workout, not just a hinky dinky safety, but bringing in Landon Collins, who I think would get more than the league vet minimum. I think I don't know, um, and also for a safety that would really only be playing the box. Like, he would be playing Tony Jefferson's role, like that Deion Grant 2011 yeah. Super Bowl 46 role. That is Landon Collins. And I think Tony Jefferson would be much better in coverage than Landon Collins. Yeah. So, um, so but I think it's going to happen. Uh, because Like, last week, A.J. Klein, like, they told they told A.J. Klein on, like, Thursday last week they were going to sign him, and then they signed him on, on Monday. So these, like, workout things that are usually a week delayed especially the Giants are going to London this week so and LPG is hinting at it a little bit too obviously he's very close with yeah, Landon close. so I do I do think that's gonna happen all right next question Julian if you don't want to stay for the rest you can go um I know I, I tried to find my Landon Collins jersey but I couldn't find it unfortunately the only two Giants jerseys I own are Landon Collins and Odell jerseys. It is insane looking back, like when Washington gave him a six-year, eighty-four million dollar contract. Like you, no matter how big of a Landon Collins fan you are, like that's insane. What are you doing, Washington? Um, all right, next question. Next question is coming from Westlock at Wesley Westigols. I feel like he did the thing where he asked like a legitimate question, and then he asked like an a silly question in the same question. What do you contribute to unlocking Dexter Lawrence this season? Does being best friends with Leonard Williams help in addition to the coaching? This is why I loved Andre Patterson uh, as as a D-line coach coming from the Vikings, like who's very well respected around the league. And again, coach technique. Like if you will set yourself as a, a part as a position coach, if you just focus on technique. And I think with Dex, his hands and feet are working together. Yeah. Where 
a lot of times in the past, it was like his feet made this play, or the hand, and it was just very segmented, and, and it wasn't like smooth in what he was doing. But because he's a beast, he was able to make some plays here and there. But I think this year is the hands and the feet are just working together in unison, which is so huge for D lineman. So where he like the first three weeks, he had really good games, awesome. And then when you play a bad opponent in the Bears, you just totally dominate in what was the best game of his career. Um, which we got that guy from a certain trade, anyways. Pete, when Pete, oh, that's another thing. When people say like they both lost, it's like no, we didn't. Like the Bear Browns clearly lost. The that Browns trade. lost. Uh, like we still have Dexter Lawrence, and we got more out of Jabril Peppers in his time here than the Browns did Odell. Um, so I just think his hands and feet are working in unison. No more Odell talk. No, that's the, also, he, they couldn't use Odell at all. They just did not. All right, know. enough. I really, I really don't care. Like, I, I it's I hard don't to care. use a guy when he's just sulking on the sideline and telling other teams to trade in the first year he's there. Yeah, really, really glad his father knows how to use the record feature on an iPhone. Um, yeah, man, De- Dexter Lawrence with the you had some really nice swim moves this week, and I thought you know kind of using speed and power and being versatile in that element where couple times where he's lining over the center and then there's a lot of times where he's lining up over the guard as well um bobby i don't know because you definitely pay attention to film a lot more than i do he has a decent amount of nose tackle reps this year pff has it as a total of 28 nose tackle reps so far this year um and i felt like some of his more dominant pass rush reps against chicago this past weekend was going up against the center and putting that pressure on the center. There are either some plays where the center is caught leaning and he's working some some speed moves. And then there are some plays where he's taking these interior offensive linemen for rides and he's working power. So I think the element of Dexter Lawrence being more versatile and how he wins this year is what is making the difference for him. Yeah, and they moved, they played him a little more at nose tackle once Leo went down too. So yeah, it's just hands and feet working in unison. He's becoming a better D lineman. Um, it's not about scheme. It's just about teaching a guy how to be a better D line. And if there's and if there's one position where I think that should be the emphasis of coaching, it's D line because at the end of the day, you're kind of playing your gap and and reading, pulling, and stuff. Like it's not the most complicated position in the NFL, but just focus on that technique. And I think Andre Patterson's gotten the most out of Dexter Lawrence. But also, this is credit to Dex too. I I just think he's gotten better as a player too. Like. Why not just embrace that Dexter Lawrence has like fully, fully improved as a football Absolutely. player? You know, and, it, and it, it may take time. It's not always just coaching, 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 but talent matters. Talent also does matter. I know that's the only thing that we've talked about this year is the coaching element. But Dexter Lawrence taking that year four jump and looking for a big contract. I think that kind of stuff does matter and he's earning it so far. And that's when Dalvin made the same jump is at that age. You mm-hmm. know, Dalvin came after out of four years. Dex came out after three. Um, so that's part of it. And again, like the coaching, when we talk about the coaching, it's not, it's not the coaching just turns Dexter Lawrence into a good player out of nothing. He was already a good player. I think the coaching and just getting older and better as a player has helped him make a jump to a much better player. Yeah. Um, and just a, like a, a guy who gets the flashy plays and gets the stats. Why don't you read an ad and we'll do the yeah. next question. Yeah, next question we, is a very important one too. Yeah, before we get to the next question, we got to talk about a new sponsor. This show today is brought to you by The Ridge Wallet. You see, on this side, there's a bunch of cards. I got some cards in my new Ridge Wallet. And then I even got some dollars in the back and it's super easy to get everything out. There's the money. I can easily grab it out. I can easily put it back in. And then boom, the cards right here can easily kind of grab them, shift them out of the wallet. 
tap it, slap it back in. The Ridge Wallet, it holds up to 12 cards plus room for cash. There's over 30 colors and styles including carbon fire and burnt titanium. The Wallet has over 50,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot more than this podcast has. The durable material means each wallet comes with a lifetime warranty. The Ridge team is so confident that you'll like it that they'll let you test drive it for 45 days. And then also as like phones are getting bigger, so much stuff is getting bigger, especially in guys' pockets. I want something small that's easy to manage. I know where it is. I could tap it. I can knock on it if in my pocket. So if I ever get self-conscious that I lost my wallet, I know that it's here. So while everything else is getting bigger, penis joke, the Ridge wallet is small and I know exactly where it is. So I want you to check out the link in our description and use code JOMBOY for 10% off the Ridge wallet. Check out the link in our description. Use code JOMBOY for 10% off. You'll be glad you did. Next question. Next question is coming from Eli Deplax at Eli Deplax underscore. Great handle, by the way. Yeah. How'd you get that? How long do you think this offense can survive on bootlegs, under center play action, zone reads, etc.? What's the path toward developing some traditional dropback passing? Assuming Jones' ankle is okay and then some other guys come back from injury. Can I answer the first half of the question then maybe you the second half? Go for it. So I think this offense, we're going to look at it on a week-to-week basis and we're going to say, oh, maybe the offensive identity is going to start to be this. Maybe the offensive identity is going to start to be that. Now, the last two weeks, they've done a lot of the bootleg stuff, getting Jones out of the pocket, you know, him trying to, you know, either throw a crossing pattern like Tanner Hudson, Daniel Bellinger check down, or Daniel Jones just kind of tucking and running it. But I think it's going to change week to week. I honestly do. I mean, the first two weeks of the season, you saw maybe a little bit more 11 personnel. Definitely week one, you saw a lot more, you know, them operating out of the shotgun. That's when Tony was still running around. That's when Wandale was still available, Shep. So definitely the offense has changed just personnel-wise. But... I do think week to week, depending on the matchups that the opposing team is giving, I think Mike Kafka and Brian Dable are going to change things. And it's not just going to be 12 personnel, 13 personnel, bootlegs, like you saw this past week in Chicago. I do think it's going to change week to week. So I don't even want to pigeonhole this Giants offense saying, oh, can they survive on this? Because I think it is going to change week to week. That and and one, you still do some of this stuff, but at, at some point they have to be able to be successful in a drop-back offense. Like, that's how you score points in the passing game is a drop-back offense, and that other stuff is complementary towards it. Like, you, you got to be able to drop back and throw the ball. The biggest key for that is Evan Neal improving. Like, that is the most... I know everyone focuses on the wide receivers right now, and it's Evan Neal's growth. The most important thing is Evan Neal growing and being able to be trusting him at right tackle. Like, you got to have some trust in him at right tackle. Because if he plays, if he plays good versus the Cowboys, there's two, like, just very clear... Big plays that are made. One that Darius Slayton, one the Richard James, and I'm sure there are other ones that where if you know you don't get that pressure, there's some big plays made off. So, so that's huge right there. Evan Neal is the most important thing because I know we're all mad at the wide receiver room. I still think if you give the quarterback some time in this, these wide receivers still can make some plays depending on who you're facing. We're not going to go face the best. You know, we're not going to go face the best defenses in the in the league. Yeah, and especially when the scheme is what it is that. Like, the wide receivers aren't so bad that they can't be schemed open. And that's what did happen weeks one and two when they were running a little bit more out of the shotgun and conventional passing. Like, we were talking about how Jones was missing guys down the field. So, it's not impossible. And out of the healthy guys, obviously, they're going to be forced to do this now. Play Darius Slayton and Richie James. 
Darius Slayton's your best outside receiver who's healthy, and Richie James can separate a little bit. He's not some amazing player, but he can do it. He's good versus zone coverage. And Slayton has been able to get open deep. And, you know, like Jones should have hit him on that slant on third down. He had the, like, Darius Slayton could still make some plays. I know we get mad at the drops and stuff, and so do I. But Darius Slayton can still be a playmaker for this Giants offense, even though he's very flawed as a player. Um, and then the other thing would be like, could we please get something out of Kadarius Tony? But I'm not betting on that. But playing Slayton, but, you know, out of the guys who are consistently healthy, play Slayton. Slayton get more reps than David Sills, even and when Kenny Gall, if Kenny Galladay is, if he was 100% healthy, you play him more than Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton should be the top outside wide receiver because he is a threat to defenses. He's not some great wide receiver, but he is a threat that has to be reckoned with uh, for defenses. And he got open twice, uh, deep, you know, the the pass interference, the Ty, if the Tyrod Taylor, if there's no pressure up the middle, Eddie Jackson, who's one of the best safeties in the league in coverage, isn't able to read that. And, you know, he may have had another big play. Uh, you know, if Evan Neal blocks better versus Dallas, he probably has a 50-yard catch or at least an uh, opportunity at a 50-yard catch. You know, and that, this is a guy who's barely played. Like, he's probably played 40 snaps in total this season. Just catch the freaking ball, man. There. Just catch yeah. the freaking ball. I mean, I, there's no there's no analysis. You know, Bobby and I we tr- we try and bring the stats. We try and bring. You know, Bobby brings the technique, the film. It's just, I don't know what to say other than catch the freaking ball. Like, <laughs> yeah. So the main thing to this is Evan Neal has to improve and where we can trust him to run a drop back offense. Obviously, the interior is going to have some issues, but you can live with a little bit of that. But Ev- we got to be able to trust Evan Neal. To get into some five man, five step drops, seven step drops, because that's how you're going to push the ball downfield. And the Giants haven't been like dead last in throwing the ball 20 plus yards this year. And Evan Neal is the most realistic piece of the offense getting better exactly. that you can bank on rather than the wide receivers, tight ends. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Kadarius Tony, Kadarius Tony. Like, I can't, yeah. I can't bet on Kadarius Tony. Yeah, I think the second to last team in the NFL. They have nine pass. They have nine passing plays with twenty plus yards. The Giants have four, and and the coaching staff's not. Re- it's not like we're like passing up on those opportunities. Like besides that, David Sills one from Week One, like they're not really throwing. They're not really putting like deep balls in the plays. Like it's a it's it's a lot deeper than no, what I Jason Garrett mi- was. I don't. I don't. I don't mind it. Like the and the Giants are doing. I wish there was some more verticals. Stuff in the offense versus horizontal. Yeah, you've talked about that. But I, I mean, mean right, I love the horizontal stuff. But I wish there was some more vertical stuff in it. But right now, I like don't mind it because I'm like looking at the results and the Giants are like close to average. And if you're telling me the personnel that the Giants have and they're average on an EPA rate, you know, and they're doing a somewhat of they're a good job. They're also thirty first in passing though. But I, Bobby, I, I, I don't care. They're, I'm not talking about Mike Kafka as a whole. But at some point, we got to be able to drop back and throw the ball. No, and I agree. I agree. But if they're going to continue to run the ball efficiently like they are now, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but as the years have gone on, Bobby, I've said the Giants aren't the 49ers. The Giants aren't the Ravens. The Giants aren't the Titans. The Giants aren't this juggernaut rushing offense team that can just run the ball at will and then everything else will fall into place. But right now, granted against some bad opposing offenses, they are. But I will agree. But I definitely agree. Through these next three games that we have coming up, where we are playing better offenses, and it's just naturally expected that the defense is going to regress a little bit, you do need to introduce some more dropback passing in there, and the passing offense does need to get more efficient and a little bit more explosive. But continue to run the ball like you are, because it's working. As long as it's working, and that's that's all that I think analytics people like myself 
who, you know, we get accused of being anti-running the ball. It's not that we're necessarily anti-running the ball. It's just we're anti- it's just that we're anti-running the ball in inopportune times and when you shouldn't run the ball. That's it. Yeah, but some analytics people like hate Kyle Shanahan. All right. Um, next question. Josh Lupasakis at J underscore Lupi. Kawasaki. Through the first four games, who has been the most disappointing player and who has been the most surprising? Do we have the same most disappointing in Mark Lewinsky? I didn't have high expectations for Mark Lewinsky either, and they've been he's been disappointing. He's been good in the run game for the most part, but he's had some really bad like pass blocking like days. Yeah. Yeah, Carolina like, really was especially bad. bad. And I'm not again, I'm not expecting like I was hoping for average with some bad sprinkled in. There's been just like there's been times where he looks looks like the worst offensive lineman on the team. Um so Kowinski's been my most disappointing. I didn't think Kenny Galladay was as bad as he was. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I didn't think that either. I knew that he wasn't going to be this guy that, when we signed him, what he thought he would be. But I just didn't think he was going to be this bad. Where you just can't get a first down. <laughs> can't even catch a first down. You know, we, when we did our player profile projection on him, where we're like, well, this year, last year was a disappointment, but he wasn't a bad... Like, he is a, a worse watch. And again, I think the offense is not fitting him great either. But yeah, he's just... Yeah, yeah, Galladay, that's actually more of a right answer than Glowinski. Um, I just kind of, yeah, Galladay's the right answer, actually. Yeah. Um, surprising? Tony. What's the most surprising? I, we already talked about Dexter Lawrence. For me, it's Dexter Lawrence and just how good he is. Like, not only is he good, but he's like literally one of the best interior defense alignment in the league right now. I did not expect that, but let's maybe try and go somewhere different. Mine's Ben Bredesen. He's been playable. All right, yeah. And last Love year it. he was not playable; like he was he was worse than Will Hernandez last year. Yeah, like he he's been like Ben Bredesen's been better than Mark Lewinsky, like especially in pass pro. Playing against next to AT helps a little bit on that, but um, mine is Bredesen. You could say Tay Crowder's made some nice plays. Obviously, you know, not against Dallas, had a bad game there. Let's say Fabian Moreau. And just CB2 in general. Just CB2 in general. I know you're smiling No, don't give me that CB2 in general crap. CB2 in general, because we talked about how Aaron Robinson goes out and this defense is like low-key a disaster, and it has not been a disaster when Aaron Robinson has went out. We I think we even have an Aaron Robinson question um, in, in a little while. So there you go. Uh, next question coming from Doug. Complicated handle. Doug, Bobby doesn't Doug, want me to read it Doug, again. Doug, Doug, Doug. Why slash how? Speaking of t- speaking of Tay Crowder, why slash how did Tay Crowder have such a strong performance on Sunday? Can he build off of anything specific, or was this simply an anomaly? I think it was more of uh, an uh, anomaly. anomaly. Like he still had ba- like when they run outside, he's just slow to react. Like he's not good in that Mike linebacker position. Like he's so much better as a will linebacker. Like when we were excited about Tay Crowder, it was twenty twenty as a. Mr. Irrelevant Rookie, where we're like, how did this guy fall so far? And he looked good next to Blake Martinez. He just doesn't He just doesn't read his keys great, and he's just slow to react. So when every team's run outside, we're just at a disadvantage. And he still had, a, like, some bad plays. He's not great coming off of blocks. And anytime we're in a light box, and it's more responsibility than just playing your gap, he struggles. Um, 
But he had some good plays in this game. I think Jalen helps. Plus blitzing. Like the blitzing helped Tay Crowder out a lot. Like Tay Crowder's good as a blitzing linebacker. You know, most of that stuff is more scheme than just individual performance. Like he's not killing block. He's not really beating blocks, but he does do some of that stuff well. But I, I, I don't like. I, I was very, I was happy with this game, and he had one run. I put on the film last play, last play of the film review today, where it's like this was his best play of the day. Um, you know, a run stop on on third and two at the end of the game when they when they punted for the last time. Um, I forgot to tweet out about the film review. Damn it! I'll do it tomorrow. Um, Damn it! So. So I, I'm not taking too much stock into this game with Tay Crowder. Yeah, a lot of his plays, I thought they were very patient plays. You know, there were no like bat out of hell Tay Crowder running in this gap, just blowing it up. Besides, obviously his blitz. But, you know, you're being told to blitz this gap, hit it, get the quarterback. So a lot of his plays were patient and good on Tay Crowder for being patient. You know, good on Tay Crowder getting there. You know, using that speed and that side, you know, sideline the sideline speed that we were excited about when he came out. Um, but I'm with you. I, I think there's going to be. Eventually, there's going to be a team that's going to watch Tay Crowder and be like, we're going to take advantage of him not being great because that is what good offense coordinators do. And that's what good teams do. And the Bears don't have that. Jalen Smith also helps, too. Like Jalen Smith is a very clearly better linebacker than Austin Calitro, um, which I'm surprised Calitro hasn't. I guess Klein's still on the practice squad, but I think Calitro's days are numbered. So we may not get those other two revenge games this year. Yeah, we didn't see the moves at 4 p.m. today like. I was kind of anticipating at least some moves. I wanted some moves because I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Davis Webb still not called up from the practice squad. Probably is by the time you're listening to this. Well, they don't call the practice squad up until Saturday. Ah, you know the timeline. It is so funny that like Jake Fromm is being worked out. Out of the guys they worked out, AJ McCarron is the guy I want. AJ McCarron, Jake Fromm, and Brian Lewerke. Like Brian Lewerke sucks. Was there intersection with Dable? 27 I feel like AJ McCarron's before 2017 right I think no I think he was he was there with him for a year maybe okay all right so that was a Dable intersection there intersection there you go but I think they traded him to the Raiders like right away too though he was drafted to the Bengals yeah he started a playoff game yeah let me look look yeah because I remember he signed to the Bills and people like oh that's that's interesting and I think they traded him like that training camp Oh, yeah, he never played a year for the Bills. Like he was there in 2018, and they traded him in 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 training camp. Tough. So yeah, there's who 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 said the intersection to that? I think it might have been Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport. Look at that. Hold on, let me find it. AJ McCarron. He QB signed two. with the Bills in March, and then he was traded in September. Like they went through a whole training camp with him, and like, all right, see ya. Traded him to the Raiders. So did they? John so did he work out? QBs. Did he work out with them? Yeah, he spent a training camp with them. No, I'm talking about with the Giants. Or is this a name that should be no, just no, being he floated around? With them. So Jake Fromm worked out. Um, did Matt Barkley work out? That was a name that was no. being talked well, about. Well, G- Matt Barkley's on the practice squad for the Bills. Tough. All right, but we can sign him. Okay. All right. Uh, read and add, and then next question. Yeah, going to be honest. Don't fully care about the Giants QB2 situation this week. Um, if it's Jake Fromm, it's kind of funny. If it's anybody but Davis Webb that's going into a game, I will consider turning off the game. My, Michael Myers sure is scary. Jake Fromm being back on the Giants sure is scary. But the last thing you need is to be hairy this Halloween. Think Jake Fromm's a low-key hairy guy. Luckily, our friends at Manscaped launched their fourth-generation performance package to make sure your pumpkins get the ultimate carving experience on this spooky day. Turn your bite-sized treat 
into a king-size candy and join the 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code GIANTS. Make the right call this spooky season. It's trick or trim. Bobby, I have a question for you. Have you ever tried to trim your balls and it turned into a Freddy Krueger film? Um, I'm, I know this is that. No, but I have cut myself before. Not the... Anyway, just finish the ad, please. Have you cut your nuts before? No. Julian. Yeah, because I wasn't using Manscaped. Mm, great. See, that's the issue. That's answer. the thing is I've always used Manscaped. Great answer, Julian. They're finely tuned pube products feature a cutting edge ceramic blade on the lawnmower 4.0 to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology and oh did i mention that it's waterproof too this trimmer is shower essential there's the lawnmower 4.0 there's a whole performance package 4.0 whole bunch of men's hygiene products Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code GIANTS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with code GIANTS at manscaped.com. Say trick or treat to your beautiful new Halloweenie with Manscaped. Bobby Skinner, next question is coming from Michael Luisi at Michael Luisi13. You'll be glad you did, Manscaped, by the way. Strictly from a grading perspective, Andrew Thomas's jump to elite status has been driven by his work in the run game, which is true. I, I think he... I'm so triggered right now because I checked Twitter while you're reading the ad, and it's it's about Andrew Thomas, and I like I'm actually angry talking about like, well, they gave him a lot of help versus the Bears. It's like you know why they gave him a lot of help because Evan Neal, you couldn't trust the rest of the guys. Okay, so acting like those four to five, like the you know the the highlight I put up of Thomas versus Quinn doesn't tell the story about Quinn. Well, how about the highlight of against Robert Quinn last year when he had dog shit across from the most immobile QB in the NFL and Mike Lennon, and he dominated Robert Quinn for an entire game. Does that tell the whole story? God, dude, why can't people just give him his credit? Anyways, well, no. Here's what I'm looking at right now because uh, Mike Michael's talking about the. PFF grades, which I know we love to subscribe it to. It just popped on. I was looking at Twitter when you were reading the ad, and it popped up on my screen, and it's so annoying. So like, I'm, try, I'm trying so hard to not like like go at these people. He's not the highest graded tackle in the NFL pass blocking. I mean, he's up there. I think he's top 10. But he is, I think, the highest graded tackle run blocking wise. So then, therefore, his overall PFF grade is the best in the National Football League. Might even be across all offensive linemen, definitely across all tackles. So I can't say that Michael's saying that I've noticed a massive jump watching his run blocking live. So can you explain how slash if it's showing up on tape, like the jump that he's taken as a run blocker? He's definitely taken a jump up as a run blocker. There's some really awesome plays in there. Last year, the awesome plays weren't there and which was Maybe it had to do with the ankle because he had the awesome plays his rookie year. Now, his rookie year, they let him double with Shane the Mule a lot more, where last year he a lot of just single blocks. Um, and he's not having any bad run blocking reps where those were sprinkled in last year too. And then you do have the dominant ones where he's moving earth. Um, and he's I think he's gotten better as a pass blocker as well too. Like he was already awesome at that, but I think he's taken a step forward in that as well um, is what I attribute it to. Yeah, I'm with you. Giants running game improved, Giants winning more, Andrew Thomas getting noticed. I think that's all part of it. God, I, I, I'm thinking about quote tweeting this. Uh-oh. What well, does it I, say? Maybe, 
Let me bookmark it so I don't lose it. It's Brandon Thorne. And I like oh, his boy. work. Like, so I don't want this to be like a shot of him, but like to be to be elite, I think he has to get a lot less help than he's currently getting in pass bro. The four to five reps floating around on here of reps versus Quinn, which he's talking about my my post, don't tell the whole story. He's very good in the run game now. Good in pass bro. You should be thrilled. Like so like he's not shitting on Thomas. But a- acting like they gave him help because they were worried of Robert Quinn, don't, there wasn't even help given against Robert Quinn. There was just all that play action. And guess why there was all that play action? Can we all guess why? Because the rest of the line sucks. That's why. It's not because they were worried about Andrew Thomas versus Robert Quinn. Okay? And so when he dominates Robert Quinn, every chance that he gets... I feel like that's noteworthy, okay? It's not this, oh, let's stop Robert Quinn game plan. It was to stop the rest of the Bears' mid-defensive line because we can't trust our offensive line, okay? And I have I have literally the clip of him versus Robert Quinn last year dominating him. So frustrating, man. Anyways, at next least, uh, question. At least we bullied Brandon Thorne and uh, Duke uh, Mayweather to talk about Andrew Thomas. Yeah, but they're talking about him in a snarky way because Giants fans are, like, telling them to, like, acknowledge him. Yeah. They'll get there. They'll see the light. They'll see the truth. And I'm listen, I'm not saying they have to say, oh, he's better than this guy or this guy. But acting like, like, if Mikai Becton or Jedrick Wills were doing this shit, there would be a lot more talk about it. Just saying, God, like it, it, I, it, it annoys. I know it shouldn't, but it annoys the crap out of me. Just saying, Joe at Dumb Blinders, <sighs> Blinders, Dumb Blinders. Thoughts on keeping Fabian Moreau at CB two and moving Aaron Robinson to slot slash nickel when he's back replacing Darnay. Bears have bad wide receivers, but Fabian Moreau like played really good. Like he had that pass breakup in the cover three zone. Like that was like a James Bradbury type play. Um, had some other good plays in man coverage on the sideline. Yeah, I, I would be down for that. Like, Darnay has still struggled, even though he hasn't gotten targeted much. Um, yeah, I, I would be. And and Aaron Robinson's out for four weeks, so it's like Aaron Robinson continues to get injured besides, you know, like got injured twice last year. Now he gets injured for injured bad enough to be put on the IR after having his appendix removed. So I don't know how much stock I'm putting in Aaron Robinson going forward. It's 28. Who was right about Cordell Flott versus Fabian Moreau? Cordell Flott hasn't played. I don't want to hear this. But who's better? I'm not going to say who's better. I wouldn't either if I was I mean, wrong. just don't don't root for Fabian Moreau to be better than our third-round freaking pick, you psycho. Oh, I'm not. I'm just calling it like I see it. Two for seven. Two, Hopefully uh, Flott ca- gets there. Two catches allowed on seven targets. Put Flot um, in the slot. That's what I want. I want Flot to play the slot. Ooh, put Flot in the slot. Okay, then that's the answer to your mailbag. I mean, I still don't want to dismiss Aaron Robinson. No, but it's like you gotta be, you gotta be able, you gotta be on the field. I'm not dismissing him, but you gotta be on the field. And now he's on IR. Yeah. Fabian Moreau turning his head and playing that ball um, on that pass deflection. They gave, was that going to Dante Pettis? Yeah, it was. 
So that was that was a cool play. That was a cool play. It was on the Giants sideline. Giants sideline reacted pretty cool to it. I think Cordo Flott still has a little bit of ways to go in terms of turning his head, playing the ball like that. Saw him struggle with that during the preseason. Saw him struggle a little bit during the regular season with it. I think he like ran into a pass deflection once this year just because he was there, but he didn't turn his head and play the ball. So I mean that's that's big on me. I I I was big in that during like the 2020 season. It's that I don't mind if you're targeted a lot, but you got to force incompletions. You got to have pass deflections because this is a passing league. You know, somebody is going to be targeted. You have to be the guy that's going to force the incompletion. So um, Fabian Moreau, if he gets the first interception of the year, you're going to go nuts. I want an interception so bad. Last question. Tim Coffey, are Dabes and Kafka going to use more 13 personnel than Garrett? Which that's tough. Why is this a good thing? Also, Garrett sucks as an announcer. If Brian Dable and Mike Kafka use more 13 personnel than Jason Garrett and Joe Judge, um, we that have would the be second a wild most world. in 2020 behind the Browns who had that like really good tight ends. Wild world. And also, Tim Coffey is obsessed with 13 personnel. Well, and we have three tight ends who can block, and that makes that so much more important. And this is why I like it. One, those guys, when they block, it's respected. And then you have the block and releases, which have led to Daniel Bellinger making some plays, Tanner Hudson making some plays. Tanner Hudson's not a respected blocker, but for you know the third guy, it's fine. Chris Myrick touchdown, week one. And here's where I think it's the most valuable. Teams are going to continue to stack the box for Saquon Barkley, but the Giants want to run the ball. So you bring those tight ends in, and they are capable of blocking. Well, guess what? You bring in guys who can block. Now they're bringing in defenders who aren't great playing the run. Safeties, corners. Like those guys aren't great playing the run. One, just the physicality of it, playing the wrong gap. And it leads to, you know, some Saquon bus, like big plays. Like the one of the Saquon big plays this week was because Eddie Jackson, who was playing aggressive, plays aggressive, plays the wrong gap. Evan Neal and Mark Lewinsky open up a hole. Saquon hits it. So that's why I like the... The thirteen personnel, the three tight end personnel, is because hey, we want to run the ball, but it's it's you know you unless you have like one of the better offensive lines in the league, it's hard to just do it with your five guys versus their six guys. Yeah, I hope there's going to be some weeks where the Giants kind of did what they did week one, where they're running a little bit more out of the shotgun, where there's less guys in the box, and maybe they give Saquon Barkley more space if they feel like they have good matchups and thirteen personnel. Then run with 13 personnel. I trust this coaching staff to understand the difference of, again, when is it most optimal to run the ball? When is it not optimal to run the ball? And they have showed it. They have 100% showed it. And Saquon Barkley has also been that dude and awesome as well, where I'm not I'm not totally afraid where if it's a stacked box and he's facing an eight-plus man box, regardless of what formation you're in. I'm not afraid of Saquon Barkley running into these eight-plus man boxes anymore because he has been showing to get the gritty yards while also being explosive as well. All right, that's a mailbag. We'll be back on Friday with a preview. We appreciate you guys. Um, Thank you for joining. We'll see you on Friday. Until then, let's go Big Blue.